Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, and welcome to the RC Industry Podcast, episode 20. For those of you new to the show, this is the podcast where I interview the most influential people from the world of stand-up, comedy, TV, radio, and today, performance. Joe Lysett, for those of you who don't know, is a British-based comedian who started comedy about five or six years ago. He has since gone on and managed to get himself management, and we talk about that. He's also won quite a lot of comedy competitions and come very close to winning a lot more. And we talk about the merits of comedy competitions for newer acts, which ones actually did him some favours and which ones did not help him in any way, shape or form, as well as which ones hindered him a little bit. We talk about finding the right management uh, and finding the right team around you to make your comedy and your career progress. We also talk about how his management has impacted his comedy and steered him in a direction that makes him more marketable and, as a result, more profitable. It's a really detailed interview and I'm really proud of it. I think we get quite a lot of like genuinely good insights from him. He's He's obviously got his head screwed on with the business side and the marketing side of being a comedian as well. So it's it's really fun to talk to him. We get really uh, nerdy, geeky, whatever you want to call it, about how he thinks that there's sort of a, a several-prong attack for promoting shows. Uh, I won't go into too much detail on that. I'll let him do that in the podcast. We also cover some really interesting stuff uh, like the big questions that a lot of comedians a few years in, including myself, ask, for example, can you make a living as a jobbing comedian alone? Like as in just performing gigs, not doing writing for TV, not you know going on radio shows, not writing for different comedians. Can you just make a living as a performing comedian? And uh, at his level as well, he, he's sort of known in terms of um, profile, as in he's done some TV spots and he's got some more coming up. But we're talking um, someone who is, like I said, a few years in and is still sort of developing this voice. And as he talks about, um, is still trying to find what that is for him and the character that he sees Joe Lysett as on stage, which was a really interesting revelation for me because I don't I didn't see him as a character. I saw him just as himself. But it was very interesting to hear his take on how he feels his material and therefore his characters had to evolve. I would just like to take a moment and thank everyone for their support in this podcast before I hit play on the interview. It seriously means a lot to me. We've just passed 25,000 downloads, which is more than I thought I was ever going to get on this. I genuinely did not think people were going to take to it so well and be so receptive to it and and 
love hearing this side of the industry so i would just like to thank you all for all the shares and all the kind comments and all the emails and just everything that you've sent to me uh, that's been positive <laughs> um thank you so much please keep doing it please keep sharing the links please keep telling more people about it please keep these discussions going as well i don't want the podcast um anything that comes up in the podcast to be the end of the discussion i want them to be the spark of discussion around marketing media being an independent comedian being uh, a a jobbing comedian and being uh someone who is in the industry for a long-term thing so if you just please keep it going it's, it, it means a lot when i bump into people at gigs and they and they're really receptive and happy and excited to see me and also like if you want to donate when you see me at a gig don't feel like you can't do that some people have done that recently because they don't want they don't have a paypal account and they don't want to do it that way perfectly happy for you to give me the money in person and i will totally it'll go it'll go into the podcast it's not like i'm just pocketing the money um and that'd be great i would just like to also point out that the patreon is still running and i'd like to really quickly do a shout out to my five patrons mike sheldon ben jennings richard browning roland hamilton and ufid studios which is alias robert cummings um thank you so much guys for supporting me you're you're helping me get to the first target for this at the moment i'm getting sort of 29 pounds so 29 dollars um an episode of the uh, podcast i really want to get that up to 50 so if you think you can become a patron and you want to hear your name being shouted out before it gets too many people and i can't do it please do take part be really helpful and i really appreciate it even if you can't by the way some people have um, emailed me recently saying oh hey i haven't got enough money right now i can't donate don't donate if you can't afford it it's not a problem. These are free. I haven't got a problem with that. But if you can afford it and if you've got like a fiver or you can afford, you know, one, two, three, four, five dollars on Patreon per episode, please do join it because don't think your donation is too small is what I'm saying. Uh, someone came across to me at a gig uh, in Brighton when I was doing my gig in Brighton uh, a few days ago and they, they gave me a couple of quid and they said, I'm sorry, it's all I've got, but I really enjoy what you do. I'm not upset by that. <laughs> do not feel bad about that at all. Equally, if you have more than that, don't you know? Do that as well. Um, some, I, I got one through for twenty pound the other day, and they said, "Oh, I'm really sorry. It couldn't be more." Again, don't be sorry. <laughs> it's it, to me, it means the world that you're even doing it. So um, please do keep those coming in. It's really helpful and it's really, really supportive. I I genuinely can't thank you enough. But of course, if you can't do an ongoing donation, the PayPal button is on the website go there as is the show notes seamless segue there um if you want to find out uh, links to anything we talked about in this podcast or any of the comedians that he spoke about or any of his influences all that good stuff is on the website which you can find at simoncane.co.uk forward slash ask the industry podcast all one word no gaps or whatever and it's uh yeah i've just renewed the website so i'm hoping to get uh, a designer on it to kind of make it a little bit more easy and friendly to you know navigate Again, that's the kind of thing that um, the, the money goes into because I, I, I want that to become like a big resource. I don't want it to become just some sort of static, oh, look, the podcast has notes kind of thing. I want it to become something bigger than that. So um, do check it out. Do have a look at the website. Um, also, if you want to join the Facebook group, it's RC Industry Podcast on Facebook. And uh, yeah, we're always having discussions in there and sharing interesting content around the same kind of subject as this podcast talks about. So feel free to join. Thank you very much for listening. Here, without any further delays, is Joe Lysett. Well, if I did it in my stand-up, it was Stuart Lee, but it's actually I do do it sometimes in the stand-up. Started. Okay, love <laughs> it. Um, yeah, I do, I, I do a character act. Well, I do a few character acts. I do one called John Roast, 
and he uh, he's billed as the greatest living comedian in the world and his joke is essentially he has a catchphrase which is that's the roast and all of his material uh, ends with uh, that's the roast or something that rhymes with roast so he'll sort of say oh I was with my wife and we were driving along the the uh, in the car until there was no more land and she said to me John where are we and I said that's the coast and then it sort of goes on so she, she puts two slices of bread in the toaster and she's like John what is this magical bread that I've made in the toaster and I'm like that's the toast and it's just really silly really it's just a silly repeated joke but it w- kind of works for some reason and every time I do it I'm baffled as to why people are f- laughing or finding any kind of humor in it but they do so I keep doing it but um yeah the repeating things is something I I find makes me laugh more than anyone else I think right no I know what you mean like if you if you have like a punchline that you keep saying over and over again yeah, I, I don't do. This is the thing. I don't do in my actual stand-up as me or the character of Joe Lassett. I don't really do repetition. I do occasional callbacks, but I don't really do re- repetition. It just doesn't really fit with my style. But in, I do experiment with it. As obviously with the always a pleasure um, photographs and the now the fifteen-second interview. But I think once people know the gag, they're quite they're excited. They feel like they're part of a little team of people that know that joke the always a pleasure thing or the um 15 second interview thing which i'm hoping that will will build it's quite early stages at this point so um i think it creates a little cult almost yeah interesting when you when you say sorry before we move on to that because that's really interesting when you say the character joe lysett Mm. do you mean you don't you're not yourself or well yeah i mean i am myself more myself than anything else I do I suppose but it is definitely an exaggerated version of me and actually increasingly I feel like the stand-up that I do is uh, sort of veering away from what I am actually like in real life just because I've over the last couple of years I've become quite straight and quite heterosexual and sort of I don't know I think I have have got more just testosterone in my system and my stand-up doesn't really go alongside that but I quite like that I quite like that I sort of click into kind of camp mode on stage and can be um, a little bit more frivolous and dandy when I'm on stage but yeah it is it is kind of me but increasingly not but I'm not too worried about that is that because like you're tied to material that you wrote like, maybe six months ago because you've got a tour? Or is Slightly, that- but actually a lot of the newer stuff is still comes from that. I think it's because I've forged a character on stage and I go into a zone when I'm on stage. So the material naturally will sort of fall into that structure or that kind of, um, yeah, that persona, that character. So naturally the stuff I'm writing does become does sort of uh, become camp or delivered in a slightly fey way which is not I, d- I c- couldn't possibly function normally in a in the world if I was like I am in my stand-up it just wouldn't I wouldn't be able to sort of go to the shops and be as I am on, on stage so it is definitely an exaggeration a, a hyperbolic version of Joe Lysett when you when you said because the thing is you've got quite a social media following well, yeah, quite is probably the term. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair because, like, you're not, you're not. Is it Rob Delaney who's the one that's like? Yeah, what? Yeah, he's got getting on for millions. Yeah, now, hasn't he? Yes, I've got about at this point, I've got about thirty-eight thousand followers on Twitter, 
which sounds like a lot and also in comparison to a lot of stand-ups it's nothing but uh, actually any one given tweet that you put out probably only goes to a thousand people but that is still a massive amount of people for a joke about my cock and balls to be going going to directly it is it's, it's still quite a lot of people and obviously a retweet helps They've now got a function on Twitter where you can see like the stats for each tweet and it will show yeah. you how many people have read it or seen it. So that gives you a bit more of an idea. I don't quite know how they calculate that, but I, I gather that more people see it than you'd think. But that doesn't really mean anything, does it? It sort of just means that some people have seen it. Um, I, I work in social media, so I can tell you exactly how that's calculated if mm. you want. Um, Please. It's for uh, views, it's just done by impressions, so it's like a load. Yeah. So if someone's scrolling, they don't count that. If they, oh, so they do count that. If they open it, then they count it as something completely separate, which okay. is where it says expansions. Yeah. And if they embed it somewhere else, they do it every time the page loads. So that adds to it as well. Okay. So if you got, so like sometimes so I get the retweets uh, will really help. Yeah, that yeah. help. But sometimes I get featured in um, Huffington Post's Tweet of the Week, that thing. Okay. So yeah. that'll help with impressions. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, of course. But no one really does anything with them on there. They don't hit retweet on the Huffington Post. No. Or follow. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, actually, I didn't even think about how you can embed a tweet. Yeah. So mm. occasionally mine pop up in there, but often mine aren't clever or interesting enough to end up anywhere other than ending in blockings normally Fern <laughs> Britton's blocked me on Twitter which I'm I sort of went I clicked on her page the other week and uh, the other day and we've not met but she sent me a really nice DM about 18 months ago saying uh, saw you at a charity gig thought you were very good or something and I was like God, over the moon that Fern Britton because I loved like Phil and Fern on this morning and now she's blocked me which is and I don't know why so I imagine something I've done about you know probably some lazy tweet about my arseholes sort of she's gone no I'm sick of this and blocked me I'm quite upset well I mean Fern if you're listening I, I imagine Fern is an ad, uh, avid listener of the podcast I'm sorry Fern if you're listening I didn't I didn't mean it Maybe she blocked you because you haven't listened to this. Maybe she was like... Oh, such... Not, yeah, because yeah. I've not listened yeah, to this podcast. That is... Yeah. You don't even know why I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get out of my house. It's not even your house. It's not even Stop my lying. house. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, because social, social media is such a big thing now for comedians in particular. Mm. Um, I mean, I'm, I, I think I feel like everyone's trying to build like their own following on there. So do you find like the repeat jokes or the kind of ongoing in-joke helps or hinders because i can imagine it turning people off as much as it turns people on yes i think every time i do an always a pleasure there will be somebody will go it doesn't look like it's a pleasure but that's normally <laughs> it's normally somebody who's retweeted it to, and then somebody's seen it, who's not seen the series before and just doesn't get the joke and that's always going to happen and then some people do just go oh this again they're not into it as a, as a running thing obviously that's going to happen with everything you do but generally it's a sort of conversation starter with lots of people and lots of people mention it to me and when we've just done one now uh, it's something that people sort of want to be involved in which I really like and I think it's it's just such a simple thing that it's quite easy easy to to do and you can you can sort of see in the photos different ways that people have approached the same brief and that's quite it's quite fun to see that in action or particularly when you're scrolling through the blog I think people really enjoy 
seeing how different sort of celebrities or different types of people go about it and obviously some people are clearly more into it than others but uh it's also become a really nice way of logging where i've been and what i've been up to a nice sort of legitimate way of uh sort of uh, taking photographs of fun people that i've been with and and doing fun events or tv shows or whatever um and also a legitimate way of essentially being a can I have a photo with a celebrity but it, yeah, it, now, yeah. it's now an, an art project rather than <laughs> just a desperate attempt to show off that I've met Kim Kardashian or whoever well I can imagine now it's that but I can imagine when you start who was the first person Susan Kalman who actually oh, basically Susan, invented yeah. it so oh. Susan Kalman was the first one and we were having a lunch in Edinburgh it must be about three years ago now and uh, it was in the Spoon restaurant in Edinburgh, which is lovely. And she said, oh, we should have a photo. And then I think it was her. I can't really remember, but she would have to clarify. But I think it was her who said, well, we should look really grumpy in it. And then I think I came up with a, with the tagline, always a pleasure. And then that was it. And then I think the next one, who was the next one with it? Someone like Ahir Shah. I did one with Alfie Brown very, relatively early on. Um, Arthur Smith, I think, was the second one that I did. And then it just rolled and rolled. And now I've got a folder in my Evernote, and there's something like 350 of them now. And not all of them have gone out. I've got a couple of good ones that are sort of waiting to go with various telly gigs that I've already recorded. But, yeah, I love I love doing it. And people do really – people who really enjoy it really enjoy it. You'll see the same people coming up and favouriting the, the tweets when they go out, so – so you, you take quite a lot of notice of your Twitter feed and the people that follow you? Uh, yes and no, like more than I should really because I like to create the illusion that I'm not really reading my at replies and I definitely <laughs> I definitely don't search my name. My mum does that for me. She is an avid tweeter and she will search my name to see what people have been saying. But um, yeah, I, I, I sometimes reply to at replies but not. I try not to do it too much because I don't think people care either. I think people want to sort of just see you doing gags or do, providing something interesting, not replying to people that have said, oh, I really liked you on whatever, or I think you shit on this or whatever. I don't think people really want to see that on your feed. It's quite interesting because, I, I mean, I make a point to reply to everyone. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah. So only because um, I, I feel like it's building up a bit more loyalty with them. Yes. Well, actually, when I started this YouTube series the 15 second interview thing that i'm doing youtube i went on youtube's sort of recommendations and suggestions and they said it's worth replying to every comment within the first few hours of the video going out because it's a way of building up that loyalty and they feel that they've got a connection with the show and whatever so i think that is really important you need to move around, don't you? Get out of the sun. It is, yeah, it right. is roasting. Shall well, I open this a bit? Or actually, it's going to be noisy, isn't no, it? That's all right. I mean, yeah, my my home stretch move today was wearing black jeans uh, in the sun. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm doing um, the same. Yeah, <laughs> roasted legs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and you wore a jumper. I know, silly, and I haven't got a t-shirt on underneath, so I'll be fine there. You can feel free. Feel free. <laughs> um, right. Just uh, naked in the uh, in the green room. No one will ever know. No one will ever know with an Oscar. <laughs> That's I just can't believe I'm in the same room as an Oscar. Yeah, crazy, isn't it? It's really awesome. Two Emmys. What else has she got? They're not there? yours, by the way. We should. No, they're mine. <laughs> they belong to me now. Now, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. What? Who? How do you define something belonging to anyone? It's, it's just true. a human construct, isn't it? It's just an inanimate object, really, in the universe. It's just atoms. It is true. Yeah. I mean, does that mean shaped into an Oscar? 
shaped it. Well, that's a concept as well. Uh, also, a, yes, a completely worthless concept. It sort of is, though, isn't it? It's not worthless completely, but it is uh, arbitrary, the sort of people that end up getting Oscars, even though I am thrilled that Jenny, who I live with, has got one, that it is an arbitrary thing, a small coterie of people that decide it. Well, it's just a... Is that how you just pronounce it? Coterie it is, isn't it? I don't even know the word. Coterie is like a kind of um, an exclusive gang. Oh, okay. Then, yeah, why not? Mm. Then, I mean, I I don't know. I, f- I feel like it's a nice distraction from death, mm. getting an award. Yes, it is, isn't it? <coughs> and you, you've got a few of them as well. Yes, what have I got? Chortles, mainly. Yes, you are, I have it written down here. You were the Chortle student of the year yes comedian of the year probably yeah more. not this not just the best student i definitely wasn't the best student that year because i didn't read any of the books in my exams so i still managed to get a two one somehow um yes best student comedian of that year and a newcomer and then best newcomer was that the year after i think maybe yes. that was yes two years after starting 2009 so 2010 yes gosh yeah, yeah. Um, I've used Google on you. Yeah, have a Google. Why not? I just, I was just was Googled. I had to get, renew my car insurance, and they said, "Oh, what's your profession?" Because I went with a different company in the end, and I said, "Oh, I'm an entertainer," which is what I said to the last one. And they said, "Oh, can you be a bit more specific?" And I said, "Oh, I do stand-up comedy." And he said, "Oh, have you been on television?" And I said, "Yes." And he said, "Oh, could you give me a list of all of the television you've done?" And it was this sort of weird thing. I was like, oh, I can't actually remember. So I sort of, I, I googled myself to sort of remind myself of all the things I'd done. And then, as I was listing them off, he said, "I should, I may as well just Google you anyway." And I sort of said, out of interest, "What? Why? Why do you need to know?" And he said, "Well, we need to dis- establish if you're likely to drive anybody with a high profile in your car with you, because if, if I drive Michael McIntyre along and smash his legs in or something, he can't work, then they might be liable to." pay for his arena tour or something i don't know so um i had to convince them that i wasn't going to be driving michael mcintyre anywhere but i think michael mcintyre's fine for lifts isn't he yeah why not i am (laughs) while we're off topic i am i went for a job at a social media agency where russell kane had once worked okay and uh they they offered me the job Mm. but then they googled me before I came in for the first day of work. Okay. And they said, oh, you're a... They rang me up and said, oh, you're a comedian. And I went, yeah. And they said, uh, why didn't you mention that in the interview? And I went, because it's not relevant. I'm not doing that. I mean, I'm writing jokes for you, but it's not relevant. Yeah. And they said, well, we, we can't employ you because we had Russell Kane here and uh, he got offered a tour and left them quite abruptly and left them in the lurch. So I lost the job. Oh, because, because of Russell of Kane. Russell Kane. <laughs> Piss off, Russell. <laughs> <laughs> he never. I've never met him. I don't even. He must be a lovely guy. But. No, no, he's an awful man, and I, <laughs> I, I think, um, I think lots of people have lost their jobs as a result of his whims. No, really, he's a nice guy. Um, I'm yeah, I did, I did live, live at the Apollo with him. It was, it was a, a comforting presence to be around. Um, but uh, yeah, that's very funny, isn't it? That uh, Russell Kane ruined your job prospects. Well, he, he didn't just do that because the money I was going to use for that was going to pay for my deposit from a place in Edinburgh. So oh, it so had a you... knock-on effect in my comedy <laughs> career. But, but so you were actually intending on leaving to, uh, the company to go to Edinburgh anyway? Well, no, the, co- the contract ended in the middle of uh, July, so I would have had time okay. unless they extended it, and even then there was three weeks in between. Okay. But uh, Yeah, I think uh, maybe you should contact Avalon, his management, and 
with a stern letter and say, um, you owe me. Well, I've already contacted them for this, so if they haven't got back to me for this, I don't think they're going to get back to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. To complain about their, one of their things. Well, I tell you what, we, uh, let's see which narrative you'd rather go down for this. Okay. Awards or complaints? Ooh. Well, I've not really won that many awards, and I've not, I've not had that many complaints, to my knowledge, but I have done some complaining as stand-up. Let's let's do it in that order because then I'll explain to you why. They're, okay. Because you won an award quite early on. Yes. And you've won quite a few since. Yeah. As in you, well, you've you've come you've come. I've been like, I've come close. I've been nominated for things and then yeah. yeah. How have you found awards have been helpful or hindrancing towards your career? At first, awards were very useful. I always say of, say to newer acts, it's totally worth doing the new any of the newer comic competitions and awards because it's a gig and they're generally, I mean it depends which competition but generally they run well and uh, it's just such a useful experience to get that stage time and if you don't do very well in it nobody really remembers, it's not that big a deal, it's just a gig and if you do do well in it, some people will remember but still not many people will remember it but it's uh, another credit you can put in those emails when you're contacting promoters to get more gigs and trying to get more interest, it's a you know a nice little thing to put on there. So it's worth doing because you can't. It's kind of win-win, even if you don't win. Um, so the they're really worthwhile. I did lots of things like um, so you think you're funny, and I got through to the semi-finals and things like that, which I just didn't. I didn't really have that competition set ready, and then it was just a kind of. Um, perfect storm of having the set ready and um, being in Edinburgh and being match fit which is when the Chortle student competition was and yeah winning that was uh, a lovely boost you know got me sort of got me going and it's funny I already had an agent by that point a lovely lady called Sarah King who now doesn't um, rep anyone she's now works at a uh, sound studio but is a very dear friend but she um, had signed me just on the basis that she liked my act and and that was really nice and exactly how you should sign with somebody and it was funny how a lot of the agents after I'd won Chortle student started in sort of approaching me even though they'd seen me before I wasn't sort of worthwhile to them until I had these credits which um, was quite telling mm. as to their uh, their level of interest does that I mean they are a business essentially so mm. they are looking vultures f- they are that's their business <laughs> sucking our blood yes our creative life our juices. comedy blood well I mean arguably yes but also arguably we're all that like we're all trying to be a bit be a business ourselves mm. and I can understand why someone who has a credit that maybe makes them more marketable makes them an easier sell for them oh yes i completely understand why they're approaching it in that way but uh, when you're trying to get an agent generally you should be approaching um approaching it i think as you know you want somebody who believes in you and your act and the credits don't really matter because careers fluctuate and sometimes you have great years and then you have bad years and quiet times and you want an agent that believes in your act above anything else and you can just it's just it's one of those obvious things the minute you win a competition and somebody comes to you straight away with their card they didn't come to you after you they saw you do your set or whatever they came to you the minute you won that 
suggests that they're not that fussed about the acts. They weren't like rushing to you after they'd seen the set. They're rushing to you after they thought, oh, I can market it, which is totally a way of approaching the business side of things. But for me, I just thought, I don't know if that person believes in the long haul of what I want this to be, which is a lifetime career. And so that's that the, 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 I just felt that it was a bit cynical really but that happens all the time and that's how agents operate obviously but I, I had a really good one because she really believed in my act and believed in me and we're still friends as a result so you know um, I think that worked out pretty well so how did you pick which agent you were going to go with um, well at the time uh, I don't think anyone else really worthwhile was offering she and she just sort of offered it on a kind of ad hoc basis of let's just see how it goes and so um and I, I liked her and I had loads of meetings and she really thought about it and she came to loads of shows so she really was um invested in developing me as an act um and so that's how I decided to go with her but I do I think a couple of other people had approached but they just didn't seem to be that invested and they'd only seen me, you know, me do one show or whatever. I just liked her as well. I thought I could get on with her and speak to her um, on a regular basis. So when you were with your first date, or when you were with, what was her name? Sarah King. Sarah King. Did she approach you or were you already just emailing agents? Or Yeah, she approached me um, after I'd done the Amused Moose Hot Starlets and she came to one of those and she ran up to me afterwards and gave me her card and then she came to a few gigs in London as well and then we sort of had a few meetings and hung out a bit and then yeah that was but she definitely approached me because I was told don't you don't need an agent till you need one basically until you can't book your own diary which isn't quite how I approached it but um I just liked the idea of having an agent seemed to legitimize my career in a way that it had just been a hobby up until that point really a hobby, a very expensive hobby that was ruining my bank balance and didn't seem that credible to a lot of people at that point. Didn't seem realistic as a job prospect. So were you making were you getting like paid work at this point or was it Not really. I was getting like the odd fifty pound gig here and there, but yeah, not making ends meet with it by any means. I in fact I think the Amuse Moose hot starlets you had to pay to do, I think. Or maybe you got a little bit of money, I can't remember, but it definitely wasn't a money spinner. And you had to go up to Edinburgh and find accommodation and all of that, which was not a cheap thing to do at any point. Um, but yeah, I was doing lots of open spots, so no, I wasn't making a lot of money. Because your first gig was at the Comedy Store in Manchester, I read. Yes, well, there's. Um, I like to argue that it's the one that I did in February, which was my, was my first proper gig. But the December, November before that February, I went to the Comedy Store in Manchester to watch King Gong with a friend of mine and got very hideously drunk. And the compare, which was Mick Ferry, he said would anyone in the audience like to give it a go? And I thought, yeah, I can do better than this. Pumped up with loads of Magnus cider. Other ciders are available. Um, and uh, yes, I went up and did a, a horrible gag, uh, which wasn't even a joke. I can't re- I can't even remember exactly what it, mean, uh, it was, but it was something to do with Madeleine McCann. Very badly thought out. And I'd like never do jokes like that these days, but I just thought that's what comedy was. And... Um, sort of died on my ass, obviously so I think that started sort of sowed the seed of I was very frustrated that I couldn't do it and I felt like I could do it so then an audition came up for an, uh, a kind of student run charity gig at the same venue in February so I thought 
this is this is my moment this is my chance to prove them all wrong and uh, thank, thankfully that one went well so then I was addicted after that because it just felt so good to be on stage doing stand-up and people laughing like it just felt absolutely amazing so you didn't want to be a comedian before then I don't think so I can't really remember what life was like before I was doing it it, I, it was I was doing graphic design and I was making films I was really into filmmaking and um I wanted to be creative, definitely, but I wasn't quite sure how. I was trying to do acting, but I was really bad at it. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I think I, I think I wanted to... I, well, I know I definitely want... Because people often ask you, well, if you weren't a comedian, what would you be doing? And I say probably graphic design, because that was a source of income at one point. And I do still do odds and ends of graphic design. And I, I did my own poster for Edinburgh this year. And um, I am working on a few sort of private projects doing graphic design and like a friend's wedding invite things like that and I do love it so I'll probably be doing that sort of thing but without yeah once stand-up started I was fully addicted to that so I just couldn't imagine doing anything else and I still still can't fathom a life without it it is such a a a beautiful um, privileged thing to be able to do Definitely. And I um no, I remember you used to yeah, dot com or something. You had that domain for a while. Yeah, I had a yeah, des- um a design sort of arm. It wasn't a proper company, it wasn't like register or anything, but there was like a, a kind of company name that I was operating under, which was Satisfac, actually. That was the name of the company. Um and uh yeah, I did a few like I did logos for things and but, but charging desperately cheap rates because I had no idea what was the correct amount to be charging um so i was sort of scraping together money from that and working in the theater in manchester the palace theater and doing odds and ends of paid stand-up but mainly open spots that weren't paid and there were definitely a few times where i thought i'm not gonna be able to afford to get to this gig to get the money from it it's like one of those and then there was this sort of tipping point i remember i had like an offer of a weekend in liverpool for a lot more money than I'd get working at the theatre because I was sort of on just above minimum wage there. Um, but I had to cancel, I had to turn down the gigs because I had shifts at the theatre. And I thought, that's not right. If, if that's happening, like I should stop the theatre and really make a go of it. So I, I did. And it's worked out okay thus far. I'm quite pleased with how it's gone. So you're profitable at the moment you're like you're like breaking even or you where where would you say you are career-wise profitable yes okay i'm i'm not particularly good with money but i'm trying to save but i make i make good money i'm i'm happy with how much i earn um it's nowhere near what you can earn as a stand-up but it's more than i think a lot of stand-ups are making at the minute in terms of um just how difficult the circuit is and how it's contracting quite a lot but to be honest I don't know how much I am because it fluctuates so much and from month to month it can be very different and also I'm really bad with money so I actually don't know my my accountant probably knows but I have no idea actually how much I earned last year or whatever but I don't know yeah, well it's the know. next question gone uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no I was only asking because I was wondering if you uh, without getting too personal make a living or could make a living from just stand up because I know you do TV stuff and obviously mm. you've got your design stuff as well Oh, yes, I was trying to work out how much, like, uh, as a stand-up, how much you sort of make if you're doing circuit gigs. And on average, a, like a good circuit, like Friday, Saturday night club, you're earning uh, somewhere between 150 and 
I think the top paying is probably 210, 220 pounds a show, which is good for a 20 minute set. So if you're doing, let's say you're doing a minimum of three of those a week. So you do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or a double on the Friday, or a double on the Saturday. So let's say you're earning 600 quid a week from that and maybe top it up by another 200 quid with like a little gig on a Tuesday or whatever. So let's say you're making 800 pounds a week. What's that? I'm really bad with maths. So that's... 3,200 a month. It's 3,200 a month, which is you know, about that's before four, tax. Before stuff, tax so yeah. That's about 40 grand a year. So it's a really good wage. Yeah. You've got to take off agent fees from that and then all the travel. And there's a lot of overheads with stand up that are kind of hidden. Um, things like car insurance, which is crazy expensive for us. So um, there are quite a lot of hidden costs. But yeah, I mean, you're kind of. you're. Would you say that's your gross, the amount you take in from that? Yeah, if you're work, yeah, if you're yeah. working every weekend, yeah, you're probably making as a sort of jobbing comic thirty to forty grand a year, I would say. It's all right. Yeah, yeah, not bad, is it? It's above, it's above average. Above average. I mean, what does a teacher get? Like an entry level teacher. Uh, my sister is a 18? primary school teacher. Uh, and I think she started on 18 or 19. Yeah. yeah. And she's, I don't want to say it's double right a now, teacher. But, yeah. And the hours a teacher does are crazy. And the hours yeah. a standard does are nothing, really. Well, she, she teaches and tutors to top up her money. Oh, my word. So that's the equivalent wow. of our, you know, Tuesday night little gig. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's when, the, the more I look at it like that, I think. Bloody hell, I've lucked out there. But then there's no security and pension and health and all of that stuff. You know, it's there are a lot of um, downsides. Downsides as well. But, yeah. you know, things go horribly wrong with any anyone's career. So um, I try not to look at it like that. And, I, you know, if I fell ill, I would have, you know, no source of income. But I'd sort of work it out. I'd just steal off people or something. I don't know. Yeah, you just... I mean, you might not live till pension age anyway. Uh, it's unlikely, the way I live. Yeah, yeah, I'll be dead within the next 10 years. Well, you heard it here first. Yes, That's exclusive. exclusive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's just an interesting thing, because we, we had a discussion with uh, a different comedian a while ago. Actually, mm. it won't be a while ago. Let me scrap that, because of the order this is going to be in now. Basically, I'm talking to comedians as well as industry people, and mm. it's interesting how many people, if they can make a living from just the circuit, because obviously TV stuff pays a lot more, and radio stuff pays just as much, but sometimes a little bit less. And so, what, as TV, yeah, depending on what you're doing, mm, I, I disagree with that. Uh, TV doesn't, it, at my level, doesn't pay as much as you'd think, and radio pays a lot less than you'd think, actually. What like, are you, are you of, writing for radio? You mean or? You mean just like being on, on like radio panel shows okay. or being yeah like guests on things? Radio is not a big money spinner, right? Interesting. It's definitely a labour of love, but it's a great training ground for a lot of comedy. But yeah, no, no, no one's a millionaire from working on the radio, really. No. Well, right. maybe like Nick Grimshaw, but I bet he, even he gets paid. I, God knows what Nick Grimshaw gets, but I don't think you know the, even the top presenters that are presenting, you know as DJs are getting crazy money. Well, probably crazy money to most people, but not millions. Yeah, it depends on your profile, really, and, like, how long you've been doing the job as well. Because mm. with that, there's, like, a career path, so your wage will probably go up each year, where, whereas with this, if you don't get better, yeah. your wage literally could just drop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it can be quite ruthless. <laughs> yeah, so I don't mean to worry you, then. Yeah, I need to write some more stand-up, don't I? Gosh. Do you want me to go? Yeah, <laughs> could you leave? I need to write some jokes. Let's write some jokes. 
Well, um, no, it's just, I mean, you've done, you've done a fair amount of TV. Like, yeah. Uh, mainly panel shows. Mainly panel shows. I'm trying to do more stand-up shows. So I've done Live at the Apollo mm. and I've got coming up or maybe I've been on it, probably been on it by now, um, unless I'm edited out. But um, when this is being recorded, listeners, I'm um, recording in a couple of weeks Sunday Night at the Palladium, which is a stand-up set. So I'm trying to do more stand-up on telly because that's what I am. Like, I'm a stand-up. Um, panel shows are... A good way of uh, kind of boosting your profile and and experimenting in other comedic forms, but it's not my main skill, and it's not something that I'm I consider myself to be particularly good at at this point. Uh, I'm getting better when I do panel shows, but I'm by no me by no means um, brilliant at it. Not that I think I'm brilliant at stand up yet either, but I've definitely had a lot more practice at that. Um, but yeah, I've done I've done quite a lot of telly. And when you really? do when you do a set on the TV, do you find that means that set is gone? Because once you know, say two million, four million, how many people watch live at the Apollo mm. have seen it? If you go and do it in a club, do you ever think people will be looking at it and going, "Well, I've seen this"? Yeah, I don't want. I don't really do any of the Apollo stuff anymore um, for that reason. Um, I, sometimes people want to hear it again, and actually, I've had people come to gigs and go, "Oh, I really wanted to hear you do the bit about the walrus," which is a sort of running gag that I had in my last show. But too many people will be like, "Oh, he's doing that again." That, and also, you want to keep pushing yourself to do new stuff and uh, churn out new material and new ideas. So, uh, doing something like Apollo is a really good way of forcing you to abandon your kind of crutches and start from. It was the, a lot of the kind of my opening stuff that I did on Apollo was the kind of way that I would open a club gig, and that was all gone once that was d- done on telly. And so I had to find new ways of sort of easing my way into shows, which was an interesting. I, you know, I had new routines that I'd written already, but my opening line had to change, and my um, the way I explained myself had to be refreshed and renewed, um, which was really good as a kind of cathartic process, actually, of sort of getting rid of the old way of thinking about how I was introducing myself on stage. Yeah, because it's obviously a different environment as well. Yeah. So not everything works. Not everything's transferable. Yeah. But but it was also, I was going on stage and I was sort of saying I'm bisexual and means you're all at risk and all of those gags which I was doing for a long time. And now I, I sort of identify as bisexual, but I sort of don't as well. I feel like sexuality is a little bit more confusing than I thought it was. Um so I am currently using the term pansexual, uh, but I never really say that to people if they ask because it's people just get very confused by that. But um, but by opening by saying I'm bisexual, it it sort of felt quite old fashioned to me in an odd way. Like it felt not right. So it's quite nice to get rid of that as a <clears throat> as a way of introducing myself. Have you ever found? from maybe introducing yourself as bisexual or, or even talking about your sexuality on stage you've come mm. across sort of negativity or like or like audiences that maybe don't maybe get switched off by you because they're like oh i i thought he was something else or yeah well people just don't really believe it a lot of the time they just think i'm gay and also um i think a lot of audiences particularly people who've seen me a lot are sort of bored of hearing me talk about it but then a lot of people come to the shows because they're bisexual and they want to hear people talking about it. And since I've been saying pansexual on stage, people are really, like the people that identify as pansexual are thrilled that somebody else is doing that So, uh, and doing it publicly. So, um, well, often, I mean, maybe some people wouldn't be. And I definitely don't consider myself to be much of an ambassador for anything but myself. But uh, 
yeah um it, it, there are definitely some people that were like well what is this who gives a shit kind of what your sexuality is make me laugh but there will always be people that think that about anything you say on stage do you because we were talking before we started recording about you doing stuff that's quite personal to you mm. do you prefer then to talk about the personal stuff to do with you and be like well fuck you if you don't want to come hear it don't come hear it a little bit I'm getting more resilient in that way I had a gig in Mansfield recently where um, I didn't do very well in terms of I didn't produce laughter which is what you want <laughs> um, they were fine they were a really nice audience and they'd they they were patient and they didn't heckle and I tried everything I tried different routines different ways of approaching it tried to do audience interaction and I did it all very calmly and I didn't feel I didn't have that panic that I used to get when I was having bad shows because I was just resigned to the fact that I am me and I have this act that I have cultivated and it's getting better but um it's all I've got really and if they don't like it I can't really do anything about that and that will happen statistically it's going to happen it happens to everyone and I was very kind of zen and calm about the fact that I was dying on my ass basically um so yeah I do I am getting more and more um uh resilient to audiences going well we're not into this and just sticking with it because you can't mold yourself to what people want to see they, you just have to trust that what you're doing is good enough for enough people to come and see you on a tour. Well, I mean, like uh, when you're doing <clears throat> when you're doing TV, yeah, or when you're in someone else's house, as it were, so yeah, like, you know, it's their venue. I'm assuming TV will have to be like, don't talk about these things. You know, it's going out at this time. You can't swear. Yeah. Or, or do they even come and see you in a club and say that's the set we want to see? Yeah, um, Apollo, we all, you do like a warm-up set and they go through everything because it's, it's just weird things where they have to check the legality of saying the company name and whether they can be sued. So there's all sorts of weird um, law-based things that get involved with television because um, you can't be libelous and uh, all of the fun things in life you just can't really do. But, um, but yeah, so the, there are lots of... Um, uh, I feel even now you're watching what you're saying, trying to. <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to find better words. I'm, I'm, I got quite drunk last night. It's basically the problem. So my my mind is not uh, not worrying, not firing in the way that it should be. But yeah, I uh, I am sort of quite good at self censorship these days, just because naturally you have to be in in life. I think it's a good thing. I hate those sorts of people that go, I just say what I think. You just think, well, no, that's what thinking's for. That's what maniacs do, isn't it? Yeah. They just walk around, like, going, ah, birds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, everything, every thought you think, you say it. Yeah, it'd be absolutely absurd, wouldn't it? Because I've oh, got a slight itch. It doesn't need, <laughs> to be, doesn't need to be articulated, does it? I feel like some people on Twitter need to be told that. Oh, God, they're, yeah. They're, so, most of the people on Twitter do. Be. I do. I need to be told that. Definitely broadcasting far too much about my life. doesn't need to be out there. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I I don't feel like the content you put on social media tells me much about your life. I feel like it's more... I mean, unless... Mm, no, it doesn't, really. Let's go for it. Hello, listener. I might open it with that. Just take that sound bite and put it at the start. Yeah, lovely. Hello, listener. Hello, listener. It would listener. have been like Stuart Lee if I... <laughs> Hello, listener. You join me here in the green room where we are watching my second mother, my adopted mother, sort of, Jenny Bevan... Cutting the grass in the garden. You are. I'm watching. I'm her. watching the you're, levels. <laughs> you're watching the levels on the on the laptop. 
I I am the person who enjoys these the least out of everyone because <laughs> yeah. I'm sat there looking at yeah. everything. And <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Going, no, honestly. And yeah, then yeah, like, yeah. someone stops talking, and I'm like, Yeah, you're, well, you're playing all the roles, aren't you? Producer, presenter, technician. It's yeah. quite full on. It's because I don't trust anyone else. No, and why should you? Well, maybe you should interview yourself, and then there's no <laughs> really that's... go meta. Yeah, yeah. People, do you know? Do you ever do this where like you, um, where you're out and about? And you're so insecure about something, you start having a conversation with someone you think would pick you up on something about that thing yes, that you're insecure constantly. about. Oh my god! Yeah. yeah, and then you, and then you, like an hour later, you're in this really intense argument in your head about how no, I can enjoy yoga. Yeah, that's your problem, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dave. Like, why would you ever like? That's not girly. Yeah, that's such problem? a common thing yeah. that I do. Actually, I mean, it must be a common human thing. Surely, I do it all the but time. It, yeah, like having sort of fake arguments with people. But yeah, it's not even that. It's sort of preempting that someone's going to contest you and then knowing how illogical their contestation is is, yeah. that, a, is that a word contestation yeah and um and yeah really getting furious about that nothing has happened yeah and then do you know what i love is i love it when you're on the way to meet someone mm. and you've had this big argument with them in your head yeah and then you have to sit there and just sort of go I can't tell you how mental I am. Like, yeah. I can't, like you, <laughs> yeah. you can't do this at all. I'm really livid with you, but yeah. for no good reason. But for the the thing I think you're... And then, you know what I hate about it is you, you sit down with them, so you're Dave, and I go, hey, Dave, you've just come from yoga. And he's almost annoyingly okay with it. Yeah. Like, like you've had this big argument, and he's yeah. just sitting there going, cool, oh. how was it? Yeah. Aren't you going to have a go at me about it? You know, just like... I, you, <laughs> I played out an argument with you, Dave. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. really funny. Thanks. You should do some stand-up about it. I've got four minutes in my show on there it. There we go. <laughs> Come see it. It's called Buddhism and Cats. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'll be there front row. Front row. You'll be oh, sitting I've there heard correcting. this before. Oh. <laughs> I saw it on the Apollo. Oh, God. This Didn't old shit. To... Yeah, yeah. Well, now I've got enough of an advert in this for my show. Um, yes. <laughs> um, let's do one for yours. You mm. have a tour. I have a tour coming up called That's the Way a Hut Joe Lice It. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. That's not that short, that bit I put on. That's the bit you put on. I didn't even think to do that. I probably should have. Because I it? like the longer the better for me. I'd love to call one um Do You Really Lice It? Is it is it wicked? We're loving it, loving it, loving it, we're loving it, Lice it. Because that will Could you take have done up that when I wasn't all... drinking. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that will take up all of the word count in any brochure. So there'll be no chance for any quote or maybe like a one word quote which will just be like fine, The Guardian or something like that. Um <clears throat> maybe next year, maybe next tour. I nearly, uh, when I was doing a show, I was doing a compilation show the first year I went to Edinburgh, yeah. and I nearly called it We Don't Know Who The Hell You Are Either. <laughs> because I wanted to see, like, you know how people just go through it and they're like, oh, oh these guys look all right, I don't know who they are. Yeah. And I just wanted someone to read it and go, oh, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But we didn't go with that in the end. No. I, well, it's sort of a bit too self-deprecating, I would argue. Um, Have a little bit more faith in yourself. I didn't back then. No. I still don't, technically. No. Well... You know, we've all got our problems, haven't we? Yeah, I've got I've got a lot in my head as well. Like, <laughs> yeah, well, having arguments with people you've not not going to actually have an argument with is one. Well, I've I mean, yeah, I just find I'm I find I I live more of my life in my head and my phone mm. than in real life. Yeah, and that's why I like this podcast. I get to go out and actually meet people. Because yeah. I have to leave the house. Yeah, and live your life. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? You spend a lot of the time. Uh, sort of focused in on the phone which people the kind of go-to response now is how bad that is and how it's turned us all into more like idiots or whatever i was gonna say mongs then is that an acceptable word no. totally not um definitely well, chop that out. Out. No. Yeah. <laughs> um it's turned us all into 
idiots that are going blind or all of the kind of cliches. But actually, I think the phone provides a lot of amazing things. And I spend a lot of time in the bath writing on the phone. And I wouldn't, a lot of the best stand-up I've written has, all of the best ideas have come to me in the bath. And I've been on the phone just tapping away. So I couldn't really write with a pen and paper in the bath. So my stand-up is, my creativity is benefited quite a lot from the phone yeah i mean i the re- i think the reason for that is because you're you're focused on another task so your mind is able to experiment mm. and, and creatively explore other ideas in a freer way than if you just sit with a bit of paper and go, yes i need a joke yeah um, yeah but also in a weird way in, when you're in the bath you can't kind of oh, i'll go make a cup of tea or oh, i'll just go to the loo you're in the bath so you can't move from that position you can check twitter again check facebook but actually you are restricted to just being on the phone Hmm. and that's all you can do maybe have a sip of your water maybe have a fart and enjoy the bubbles but that's basically all you can do i i do most of my writing on a train Mm. because it's there's so many i i my therapist says that uh i need as many uh senses engaged as possible in order to not overthink things because if i only have one sense engaged like if i'm listening to music and writing it, it I, it's not as good for me as if i've got like sights and sounds and smells and things around oh uh, that's interesting so, yeah i can imagine that yeah i'm the, trying to be a bit more holistic in my writing approach by uh, sort of reading more and taking more into my brain so that when i write <clears throat> i've just got imagery that wouldn't have been there before that kind of thing you know so there's more um there's more sort of uh, things in a a little pool of ideas that are sort of floating around and they can pick out when you need them yeah i know what you mean if you've got nothing in the pool or the pool's full of old ideas then you're going to struggle to create anything new and interesting have you done the artist way a little bit of it i did the morning pages for a while which is where the walrus idea came from but i haven't done i I never completed it because it's so long i thought i'm not going to be able to write the show because i'm just reading this book so no i've not completed it but it's something i'd like to have a go at at some point because i gather it is brill yeah but um no i've not done it yet no, I, I started it, and in it, it tells everyone you started. Yeah, it. no one's finished it. My, my girlfriend, even has. the woman who wrote it, hasn't finished it. <laughs> yeah, the book's just like nine pages at the back. Yeah, of yeah. Um, no, there's a thing in it about artist dates. So you take yourself and you go and look at something you always oh, want to yeah, do. Oh yeah, yeah. So you fill your creative bank up with new things. Well, I do. Yeah, so I like do that. do that, but I just don't call it an artist date because I'm not a wanker. <laughs> I just go to the cinema on my own, and that's. I suppose you could call it an artist date, but it's just I'm in Brighton waiting for a gig and I've got a chance to watch a film, so I'll go and do that. You know, that kind of... that's that's. So I do I do probably a lot of the artist way anyway without having to formalise it in a I'm doing the artist way. Although I think it's, it is helpful to look at one's life as the life of an artist when trying to do stand-up because otherwise it does... F- can start to feel a bit desperate when you've just got to fill an hour show and it doesn't and it feels like you've just got to do that for the sake of selling a tour or whatever when actually if you can look again i'm an artist and this is my i'm working towards something it can feel a lot more um colorful and meaningful and meaningful yeah 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 no i know what you mean um and i i agree with the the sentiment that like refilling 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Up your even if you're doing it a different way, mm. your bank of but the thing is, you know, I, I avoid comedy when I'm like in a writing session, yeah, totally. Because if I say I watch like a season of Only Fools and Horses, at the end of it, one of the characters I've like embedded and like I'll be like trigger for like a week, I'll yeah, be like walking around yeah. going, All right, Dave, right, right. Yeah. I've even done it, I've mentioned, I've said Dave, I don't know any Daves, and I've said <laughs> Dave four yeah. times in this podcast, yeah, so. It's funny, yeah. It, that naturally will happen, though, isn't it? And and the thing is, is that I actively try not to watch stand up while I'm writing stand up. But I had a very in- interesting conversation with Sarah Pascoe. Every conversation I've ever had with Sarah Pascoe has been very interesting because she is so brilliant. And she was saying how she watches a lot of stand up because all of the best authors they read, you know, they read a lot and to think that in order to to get good at stand-up you can't watch stand-up is perhaps naive but also it's about noticing when you've watched a lot of one stand-up if the rhythms of that stand-up or the um, structures of the material replicate what they're doing and sort of flagging that as as quickly as possible but we're all replicating just an amalgamation of loads of stand-ups that we love I suppose so yeah yeah, it comes down to the, what we said at the start, where everything's just atoms that are just being re-signed around. Yes, we're just moving the same comedy atoms around, and hopefully I can shape mine into a Foster's Comedy Award. <laughs> are you going for the award this year? Well, everyone says they're not, but they are, aren't they, I suppose? I don't know. I, don't, I, I really don't think that I'm the sort of act that would get one, but then... It's I, another thing everyone says. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know, just but then I'm always surprised. I don't think it's ever worth approaching it for that, but it would be a lovely thing. But who knows? So, the show you're you've written the show. Obviously, you're doing you're on the tour, you're on tour at the moment. Uh, so, well, I'm just sort of working up the material for the. So I'm, I'm I am doing shows all the time, but they're kind of work in progress or club gigs at the minute. And then the tour officially starts in Edinburgh and then runs kind of from the end of September around the country to end of december but probably will run into 2016 so you've been i mean you've been a tour support you've done tour support yes for, for a, a little people. while yeah. yeah 
how did you know that you or was it an agency move to take you from being the support to the headliner as it were uh well it's a sort of um a natural progression in one's career when you've done a bit of telly and you think you might be able to sell a tour then i did one about 18 months ago <clears throat> excuse me where we did little kind of hundred seater venues just had a go and some of them sold horribly and some of them sold very well and i didn't know what i was doing and it was a real curveball uh um, not curveball learning curve but um it's the only way of getting good at it and it's much better to do it that way rather than wait till you can sell out thousands and thousands and not really know what you're doing much better to experiment with the smaller audiences and try different ways of doing a tour show and approaching it in different ways so some of them I did with support some of them I did without and I messed around with how I did the support so some of them I kind of compared at the start and then brought the support on and then you know, had a break and then did the show and then some of them I just did the support and then I went on it's um, it's finding ways of doing it that work for you really and make it fun and interesting and new for you um, so I, I'm working that out slowly but I'm really excited about this tour in a way that I wasn't about the last one because I was just so panicked by the last tour and didn't feel I was capable whereas I've learnt that it's totally doable and some of them will be weird and some of them will be nice and but it's all good, largely. It's all experience and learning. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I'm i really excited about this tour. But, yeah, it was basically management said, I think we think you're ready to sell your own off your own name. Do you want to have a go? And I said, yeah, go on then. Um, and I sold quite well in hometown and then something like 15 tickets in Hull. Um Hopefully Hull will be a bit busier this time round. Who knows? Are you using social media to work out where your audience is? A little bit, but uh, the sales really reflect. You look at the kind of list of places and yeah, there are lots of places where I don't have much of an audience at this point. But whether that will get better. But there's a lot of, a lot of places that everyone will sell out and a lot of places that everyone struggles to get people into. It's kind of the... Um, there's a, there's just a few cities that don't go mad for comedy and it's really hard to sell well there yeah i mean i after edinburgh i'm hoping to i don't have management so i'm doing that myself but um on the analytics thing on twitter it tells you where all your people are like who are following oh yeah so i'm using that and then i'm like tweeting out saying manchester followers for example yeah would you come and see me in this venue yeah and just asking them directly that's I'd, interesting because yeah. i'd rather sort of not know but like have an inkling of if they're not going to make it up to Edinburgh. Well, yeah, could they come and see you somewhere else? So how do you find out where your followers are from? How is that just, is that on Twitter? Yeah, you... it's analytics.twitter.com. Okay. And then it's got like a, a profile section, so it shows your followers. And then it's got like a like a breakdown of the top cities where you are. Oh, wow. It's really useful. That's really useful. I didn't know that. Analytics.twitter.com. I will waste a few hours on that later. Oh, no, don't get into it too much because it'll show you everything you've got. Like, so all your statistics on every tweet and like you just can lose yourself in it and then yeah. go mad and be like, oh, they love the tweet about cockerels. i got to tweet more about birds. Yeah, Everyone loves birds. Okay, yeah. Yeah. And also it, it tells me who people are following as well as me. So like the top mutual followers. And it's people like Adam Hess at the moment, okay. which is quite nice because he's really good. Yeah, so. no, that is good. Mm. He is very funny, Adam Hess. Very, very funny. I feel like I feel like you want to go and check that now. I really want to go and check it. <laughs> I really want to know what... Like I'm just thinking back through like recent tweets because it might reveal why Firm Britain blocked me. 
It doesn't that, tell you who blocked one. you. That's the no, thing. I really want to find out why she blocked me. Do you want me to send her a tweet and be like, why have you blocked my friend Joe Lysett? I just, I can only think that it's a mistake. I can't begin to imagine why she would have, maybe an unfollow, but a block is so, so permanent. But what I also like is anyone who's had to, who's gone to block me, my profile picture on Twitter is me doing a really ridiculous face. So they must have got so annoyed with me and then gone onto my Twitter and looked at that picture. And that's the last thing they see of me going like, and then having to click block. I love that so much. Yeah. That's quite a, it's quite like, um, it's like, I want to be the last face you see before you die. Like, yeah, yeah, really, <laughs> yeah. Really and the great. last face of, the last version of me that they see is me doing some stupid face. You know yeah. what happened then? They'll get off face of Twitter and then just go, yeah, and he was all smug about it on the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be amazing. He was smug about it on the podcast. Haven't you been on a program with Firm Britain for, um, like a, like a, ah, oh, who's the, this is going to need editing down because I've forgotten what his name is, but the, the Keith Lemon, like that, that. Celebrity Jews. Yeah, was she on that? No, she wasn't. Or am I thinking of Fern Cotton? Uh, Yeah, Fern Cotton is who you're thinking of. Fern Britain was the one that hosted This Morning. (laughs) They're not two people you get mixed up very easily. Well, no, I think they probably get mixed up more than you'd think. Um, But I gather, because I did a bit of Googling about Fern Britain after she blocked me, uh, that her and Phil don't really speak anymore either because apparently she was a bit annoyed about how much he got paid on Mr and Mrs but that's according to like the Sun newspaper so it's probably not true probably not true but um, interesting that Phil said that they don't really speak anymore because they seem like best buddies on that show everyone seems like best buddies on that show like, they <laughs> all hated each other fascinating it's true I imagine all the judges on Britain's Got Talent hate each other and they just have to sit next to each other because who, of is, who are the judges? It's Simon Amanda Hold and David Walliams and somebody someone else. else. They keep yeah. rotating it to like another pop star each time. I think. Yeah, I think it was Lady Gaga at one point. Wow, I've, I don't really watch it. I watch the. No. Um, I go to the YouTube and look up the trending most dire ones for mm. the first couple of weeks, and then like wait until the last two weeks, and then watch the really talented ones. Yeah, and then find them on social media. But then I just leave it because I'm like. There's so much. There's so many hours to get through, aren't there? Ugh, yeah. yeah, it's exhausting. Oh well. No, not a big. Well, I am. I do like it, and I did. I've done the spin-off show a couple of times, I think, but I've not watched it recently because it is just. It's such an undertaking, and I feel like I should be reading or doing something slightly more edifying than watching. Sort of. Yeah, something peculiar has happened in the room. Um, watching Britain's Got Talent. Well, okay. Um, let's let's go back on track to show stuff. Yes. Titles. Yes. Your show titles are among the best. <laughs> yes, but... they seem to be quite good, don't they? Um, is uh, thank no, you for ahead. the compliment. No, go ahead. You can be arrogant about them because they are very good. I mean, you're, you've locked out with your surname. Well, yes, I suppose I have really because it's the sort of surname that doesn't immediately lend itself to a pun, but the more you think about it, there's a ton of them. Yeah, so my shows have been called Some Lysit Hot. If Joe likes it, then you should have put a ring on it, and now that's the way uh, 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 Joe likes it. I'm going to run out of these. I think. Never. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I need people to release songs with like it basically in the title. I kissed a girl and Joe likes it. Drop it, likes it hot. Have you, have you thought si- about doing a single so that you could just use the show? Oh my God, that's a great show. That's a really good shout. Or could I could do like a charity to... album of all of those covers of all of those songs, oh, but change it to Lice It. Or some Lice It Hot isn't a song, is it? It's a film. Maybe I'll just do a cover film. 
That's a um, lot more effort. It is a lot more effort. Um, yes, I just I, my shows the themes emerge slowly as they're being written, so I can't really name them when they go on sale because I don't really know what they're about. So I, and I find I've always found it weird when I went to watch comedy when I was uh, before I was doing comedy when I was a, uh, watching sort of stand up. So I was a child, and when they sort of a stand up named their show, I thought that's a weird thing to do because. It's just them doing stand-up. Why do I need to... The title doesn't help me in any way. It doesn't, it's not... And and so that I'm quite glad that I've found something that's funny because at least um, people are laughing before they get to the show. And it, it's a kind of jolly... It sort of sums up what my shows are about, which is just a bit of taking the piss, really, and just being a bit silly. Yeah, it feels, it feels very you. Yeah. From what I've seen of you on stage, the character, sorry, of Joe Lysett, and... and the style of the show yeah so i think it's i think even though i mean have you ever had it where like someone's come up to you and gone i didn't know what this was going to be about because it's hell but it's really good or because sometimes people like the fact that especially in edinburgh that the name can pull them in yeah um i might have had some people coming to the show because they thought it was a beyonce show last time perhaps but um no i don't think anyone has sort of been disappointed and i sort of said in the show this isn't a show to do with beyonce so Sorry if you want me to do the dance or something, it's not going to happen. Um, but She's nobody... got this vision of Louisa Romaland getting up and going, fuck this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was She was the one person that stormed out, actually. Um, no, I, I I think most people know what they're sort of going to see. Um, I think it might have even been in the blurb for the last one that it wasn't to do with Beyonce. I'm trying to think. Like, there's, I feel like there was something I did that really made it clear at the start. Which, but I think it was just me saying there won't be anything Beyonce themed in this show. That's that's enough, that's really. Fine, isn't yeah. It? And then I did a full show about Beyonce. That was the joke. No, it wasn't to do Beyonce. Yeah. <laughs> this has got nothing to do with Beyonce apart from everything. Yeah. So oh, who sings the song you've got at the moment? That's the way. Uh huh. Uh huh. Okay. The sunshine. Casey and the Sunshine Casey Band. Casey and the Sunshine Band. Yeah. Has it got anything to do with them? No. Hopefully there'll be some form of sort of sunshiny... It'll be nice and shiny. It's really cheesy. <laughs> no, no, there's nothing to do with it. I, way. If you don't have, as the music just before you come on, be that song, but yeah, with you it's... talking over it. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. That's Joe totally Lyson. what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Are you really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely. Oh, it's going to be yeah, awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, that's too good to miss as a thing. That's a great idea. Yeah, no, I will be doing that. And I think I'll do it live, so it'll be really clunky. That's the idea. That's awesome. Um, but I haven't quite worked that out yet, but yeah. Oh, awesome. Um, well, I was going to ask, because it sounds like your management not only keep you grounded, but also are able to quantify where you're at as a career path. Mm. Because it sounds like they've said to you, because would you have picked to do a tour without them? Probably not, because I would have been too frightened. Is that because of all the undertaking or because you just don't think you're big enough? Uh, a bit of both, but also like it's just don't feel like I could write the show, or I like to live a relatively leisurely life, and so the idea of doing a tour and loads of dates and writing the show and having to navigate sales and all of that just seems very frightening. But they make that very, very comfortable and easy, and they're very good at. They're just very good. They're very, very professional very talented group of people lovely group of people who know exactly what they're doing so it makes the whole thing very joyful and do you read reviews 
No. Do they? Yes. Do they so, send them? <laughs> no. Um, so I have a thing, and I might stop it now, because I it, I was very anti-reviews when I started out because they revealed, often revealed things that I agreed with and sort of um, made me feel not very confident, which sort of hindered the stand-up. But then I had a few conversations, mainly one with Josie Long, who said there's no point in reading them because they try and tell you who you are. And naturally, even if it's positive, you will respond positively or negatively towards those just minor little descriptions of you, the sort of camp comic Joe Lysett delivered a perfectly fine show you sort of go oh am i camp i didn't i feel like i come across as a bit camp and it's fine and not like i thought that bit was better like you you naturally start to react against it and you're putting the uh you're putting an influence on your show into the hands of people who are critics who i think it's a bit of a weird profession to go into like when i generally when i meet critics and they're not the sort of people i want to hang out with loads there's a few that I really like as people, but often they're like a bit weird and a bit, um, I don't know, a bit damaged, uh, to not be too cruel about it. But I just think if, if you've sort of decided that your um, endeavour in life is to sort of tell other people how to do their job, even if that's providing a useful service to somebody, I still don't think it's that admirable. Interesting. Okay, and are there any reviewers that you read just to find shows to go and see? Mm, occasionally Steve Bennett's work, um, but I make a point really of not reading reviews about myself or anyone really. I don't, I don't want that kind of um, sort of mindset to sort of infiltrate into my head really. I don't want there to be that voice in my head going, well you know what will steve bennett think of this joke you know you don't really want that to be in your head and it can yeah. be because i do picture it's often steve bennett i just think oh what would steve make of that and you think well why i'm not writing it for steve why have i put so many eggs in the steve basket i really like steve he's a nice guy and he's you know been very supportive but um and he's always sort of been um you know put me on at his sort of gigs and things and asked me to do things that are shortly related um but I similarly don't necessarily want to know his opinion any more than anyone else's. So I don't I don't email around my friends saying, what did you think of my last stand-up? I don't do that. I just do my stand-up, you know. There is a, a guy called Ed Stambaluian, who is um, a theatre director who's a really good friend of mine who directs my stand-up, and he will often read the reviews, and then if there's anything very um, common across them all, he'll try and explain that to me as... Um, gentle way as possible so that I don't get too I'm just a very delicate flower really and I don't want anyone to be hurtful towards me it's fair enough yeah so like every other comedian yeah basically but I do I do there is and I don't quite know how to articulate it but I do just think that um criticism as a profession is a kind of isn't admirable I don't think it's um it's it's kind of to me it's a sort of uh, akin to like working in a a call center cold calling people it's that kind of thing where i understand why it exists and it provides a purpose but it doesn't mean that i have to like it or approve of it i get what you mean 
I thought, I mean, when I did my first show at Edinburgh, mm-hmm. or it was like a split thing, I specifically emailed everyone I could find and said, don't come. Yeah. Because we were just doing a split show. We don't want any reviewers. Yeah. And that meant every one of them came. Yeah. Because yeah. they thought it was some sort of stunt. Yeah. That we were like, no, we don't want anyone coming in. Yeah. Which was awful in a way, because, mm. you know what I mean? You're like, I know, I, it wasn't like reverse psychology or anything like that. Yeah. Go away, the skinny or whoever. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but I mean, if I suppose if you... Because, I mean, you don't really... I mean, you use some quotes on your posters and things. Yeah, so those um, those are all kind of got got for me by management. So I'll sort of say, is there any quotes that you can recommend that can go on the poster? So I suppose I do see those things, but I generally try to avoid knowing. And in Edinburgh, I don't read anything, but you kind of know roughly how things are going because you see how many stars have been put on your poster and that kind of thing. So you know roughly... Um, how it's being received but I think the minutiae of the what people think of it is what's not useful really um, I think it's, you can get a guess based on somebody's face whether they're enjoying a show or not I wouldn't go up to any one person and sort of say so what did you make of that routine I don't I don't want or need to know really it doesn't help me no that makes sense it doesn't help the work yeah, that makes sense. And I mean, it also probably ties into your not searching Twitter for your name. Because mm. none of your shows I've noticed have a hashtag for them. No. So I'm presuming you're specifically not trying to encourage people to, you know, send you feedback. Yeah, like no, Twitter. I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really want that. And I don't, I, I don't Google myself. I don't do any of that stuff. And people that do do it, I always recommend to not. Because it is such a nicer headspace to be in when you just don't know what people are saying about you. It's so much nicer. Because people will be saying horrendous things about you. And you will... It's like picking, it is like picking a scab. It's a cliche that people use when they say sort of Googling yourself. But you will go to the bottom of the thread to see just how many people have said nice or nasty things about you. And you're looking for nasty when you're doing it. And it's just not a healthy thing to do, really. Yeah, I mean, well, that's just that's human nature. Like, if there's a if there's a fight going on over here, and there's like a, uh, I don't know, sunshine over here, because mm. of our primitive brains, we're wired to go for the negative to yeah. find the thing. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when I'm looking at reviews, because I do still read them, I probably should stop, but I don't get reviewed that often. So I feel like at the moment, it's not that big of a chore or issue to read one person's review yeah although i know what you mean i mean my last chortle review i got reviewed as um skinny skinny white male comedian was like the opening to it yeah and i was like you know can't i go one review about being called you know like (laughs) stop judging my appearance like kind of thing um so i know what you mean if like you get judged as camp joe lysett Mm. although that would be a weird start to a review (laughs) Well, I'm sure I have been reviewed and I definitely have, have the word camp's been used tons of times and I use it about myself so it doesn't really matter but there's this sort of feeling of like and I know that critics probably think about comics that don't read their reviews or they're just very vulnerable and they can't deal with criticism uh, yeah basically I can't <laughs> But it, but but there's nothing really wrong with being vulnerable. Like that's that's where it comes from. Like that's the, job. I think uh, being sensitive to things is what makes me me and what makes my stand up uh, accessible. I think sometimes is that uh, there is a vulnerability to me and there is that sort of feeling of. This, uh, one of the things I noticed about Trevor Noah when I went to see him uh, first time is that you kind of there's a real there's a delicacy to him. Like the, the, you feel like. He's he's very much in control, but also he's a 
there's a fragility to him, and that's a beautiful thing. And to sort of sort of say, oh well, you shouldn't like be stronger. You should man up, and you should read them, and just you know, people are going to say horrible things about you, and you should be able to deal with it. Well, I don't know necessarily whether you should. I don't think that that will change me in some way. That will spoil my nature. I don't want to be stronger in some ways. I want. I think the the great power of 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 my work sometimes is that it's it is fragile and I am weak. Do you think your management has impacted on who you are on stage? Because clearly when they first saw you, like clearly if when they first saw you, they saw something in you and wanted to book you for that. Mm. And you have evolved from that to who you are now. Yeah. Do you think that management has steered you in any way towards what you are now based on trying to make you more marketable? Or do you think, even down to like maybe sort of trying to suggest, you know, oh, that might work better or, or maybe writing with this person might help you out or completely my uh management is chambers management my manager is hannah chambers and she has a very hands-on approach to my career my work uh she comes to a lot of previews she gives notes she has a lot of thoughts and i really like that i often don't like it at the time but i see the value of it afterwards but she has to play a number of roles she has to think of how she can market me to the industry and to to execs tele execs and that kind of thing but also make me be at my best as well and so she has a very sort of tricky line to tread really but I am a better comic for being with her because she has that hands-on approach and she is motivational and she does you know say you should be writing and there is that kind of pressure from her to to uh, perform really and to to make the best of myself and my work and I think that's one of the why she's regarded as one of the best if not the best agent is because she has that approach of no you all work as hard as I will and then together we'll create this thing together I think um, it's very important if you're a manager of anything that you really believe in the products and if you feel that the person that you're managing isn't really putting the effort in then it is harder for you to sell that product. So she's very motivational and very, yeah, very good at steering things and just has a very good eye. But as do the other people in the office, and they often will, when asked, they will give really useful, constructive criticism on um, my stuff. And I I like hearing it, and that's the difference, is that I've solicited it and I trust those people. I haven't solicited it from critics in any of the newspapers or any of the sort of websites um and and those reviews aren't for me that that criticism isn't for me it's for the, the people that read their publications to decide whether they want to come and see me or not um which I would argue is not necessarily a useful way of deciding what to do with your life but uh yeah they are brilliant at and very hands on um I'm very good at straddling that line between understanding that I need to be marketable, but also I need to be myself and make the work that I want to make. Yeah, because if you're not happy, it's not like it's going to be a good show anyway. No, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And your debut show in 2012 was, uh, well, it was one of the Edinburgh Fringe Awards, was went forward for one of the Edinburgh Fringe yes, Awards anyway. Yes, the best newcomer um yeah foster's nominee yeah. was that like an aim when you took it up no but i was absolutely thrilled with it again wasn't expecting in any way did not think the show was what the judges would be after 
didn't think the show was good enough necessarily i was really proud of it but i didn't think it was as good as the kind of the work that a lot of other people are doing um so i was thrilled really thrilled so when you so when you just found out it was literally like they'd come did you know they'd been in or yes i knew that there was a chance because they'd been in a few times and my agent sort of said that she thought she had a feeling and she'd spoken to somebody because it's it should be completely private until it all comes out but i don't think it is and i think there probably are influences from outside the industry and obviously it's a series of judges who change every year and they all have their own motivations for who they vote for and whatever so it is kind of kind of what we were saying before about oscars it's a small coterie of people that um have their own interests at heart a lot of the time so it is slightly arbitrary but still everybody wants to be part of it and it's the same in most awards really um everyone knows that it's slightly bullshit but everyone still wants one it's a really strange um kind of uh what's the word contradiction um but yes she rang me my agent rang me because she was told and my phone i'd just been for a run with rob deering in edinburgh and it rained and my phone stopped working because i got water in it so i couldn't hear her so she had to text me to say that i'd been nominated which was very nice so then i had to find a sort of another phone to ring people with because my phone wasn't working um but yeah i remember it being a very exciting day and i was a bit shaky and then I was absolutely livid that Daniel Simonson won because he beat me to um, in the semi-final of So You Think You're Funny as well and then won So You Think You're Funny. Always bloody being beaten by Daniel Simonson. Not bad. He's, he's almost as bad as Russell Kane. Oh, my God, he's worse than Russell Kane. <laughs> he's awful. Worst man alive. He's lovely. I was going to say, I lovely. <laughs> He is genuinely one of the nicest and most deserving people. Yeah, but I'm awesome. still bloody livid with him. No, he's awesome. I've gigged with him a couple of times, and yeah. he's always oh, he's exceptional. Just so lovely to talk to. Yeah, yeah. They're just, just such a great. His craft is absolutely crafted. He's worked super hard on it, and he is an exceptional stand-up. Yeah, I've seen him do new material, and he's like bulletproof with new stuff. Uh, like yeah. he'll, he'll go up and just be like, "This is new, but it's happening." Yeah, and and something some, you know when you go up with like a new idea, sometimes yeah, and you just like, flesh it out. This could be all right, guys. <laughs> he's so good, isn't he? Yeah, he's very, very talented. Very precise. Mm. When it comes to marketing your shows, mm. do you find social media sells tickets? Not really, but I don't know. But I don't think it does necessarily. I think it helps, definitely, and I think it gets the kind of idea and the word out. But I think people need a sort of two-pronged approach, I think, to buy tickets in my observation of... Um, I've got a friend that produces theatre. You kind of need an article somewhere for them to see and go, oh, okay, or whatever, and then see another thing about it and then to be reminded to go, oh, yeah, I should get tickets for that. Um, but I do think I tweet about it a lot just so that people know that it's happening. And every time I do... Um, you know something on telly or whatever I'll tweet afterwards to say that I'm on the tour just so that it, and that will boost things but um, I don't think just putting a tweet out sells tickets really because I've done plenty of tweets where I've said oh tonight I'll be here and it's not really affected sales so I think it's it's a, a far more complex thing going on in, in order to sell tickets which none of us really understand because if we did then we'd all be millionaires We'd all be doing better. Yeah. <laughs> I think the main thing that sells tickets is having a really solid, brilliant show. I think that's the main thing. And then people go, God, it's really good. And 
that's the thing that sells the tickets, not the social media. Yeah, but I imagine getting to the stage of so once you've got the show, you yeah. need to get the word out. So, I yeah. was, so obviously going to your core base of people that care and are following enough, you know, following enough. Yeah. Of you. Yeah, I'd, I yeah, I'd like to think that it sells more than it does. Is I think the issue. I think you, when you look at thirty eight thousand followers, you'd like to think that every tweet will that you put out, then one person will buy a ticket. But I don't think that's actually how it works. So you, well, you've you've amassed thirty eight thousand followers. Are they useful for your career, or like do you ever like try ideas out there? Or yeah, so I'll I'll tweet jokes, and they will go out to the followers, and then ones that do well in terms of retweets or sort of response will occasionally end up in the stand-up. So it's um, it's a useful training ground for one-liners or ideas that you're not quite sure are funny enough and then you give them a go. I'm sure you do the same as well with little one-linery ideas, or maybe not. Mm. Um, well, it, it depends. Like I used to do one-liners as a stand-up. I used to stand there very deadpan and do one-liners. Yeah. And I got bored with that, yeah. Especially after like ten minute sets, you know. It's you, tough to keep that going. Yeah, and I really respect people that can do it, but I just thought this is creatively boring mm. for me. And then all the stuff I'm writing now doesn't work written down, right? Like, I even even if I put like the lengthy thing on Facebook, people will be like bored from reading it because it's in the delivery rather than yeah. So usually a line from my set will go out. And it's usually the line that I don't call a punchline, but gets a laugh in the you know yeah, set. Gotcha. But I do a lot of jokes. I just put a lot of jokes out there just because I I want people to think I'm funny and like take an interest in me. Yeah. But I don't. I don't find it sells tickets. I don't find it brings people down that often. No. But then you you have to look at the stats. You know, like thirty eight. Say I had thirty eight thousand, and I had a hundred seats in a theatre. It's on a specific night in a specific town in a specific you know like area of the city or whatever yeah how many people are going to be three available have the spare income be interested and wanting to go and see comedy on that night yeah so you narrow it down and you may be looking at out of thirty-eight thousand. let's say manchester again you might have oh wait you're from the midlands aren't you i'm from birmingham birmingham so let's let's say blackpool because then we because you will get hometown sellouts and whatever yeah so blackpool you might have a thousand followers on there so then you cut that down to 500 that might be free that night probably less and then yeah. you know it keeps getting less and less and yeah. eventually if you sell 10 tickets you're like 10 tickets yeah um god it's scary actually when you look at it like that isn't it i have to for my day job yeah yeah but yeah that i kind of and that that is how you have to look at it from sales as well you kind of have to think that you know people really i'm sort of amazed anyone buys a ticket to sort of see me still because it's <laughs> it's such a, a leap of faith in me which i don't necessarily have for myself but it's wonderful but it's um yeah i don't i don't really know why people buy tickets for things i'm glad they do thank god do you get a lot of repeat audiences yes yeah i think people people like to come back and see what i'm up to i definitely see similar faces in uh in gigs which is really nice. There's definitely a group of people that are really supportive of comedy, particularly in London, and you'll see them at lots of comedy gigs supporting all sorts of different stand-ups, which is brilliant. Um, so, yeah, I do I do have a a, report, uh, a repeat contingent. Do you find that, I mean, the show title is obviously something that people can talk about, like it's already like a hooky type thing. Mm. Do you find that stuff like that comes into your marketing plan, or do you just leave that all to management? Um... Say that question again. So, so the, the the question was uh, right, let's ask it a different way. Um, how much does your 
creativity get impacted by a marketing plan for a show and how much does it just you just do it and then they market it um well the marketing is all done before the show's written normally or as the show's being written so the marketing sort of naturally will will affect it a little bit but the show the show sort of molds around um the sort of space that it's given really so if the marketing says it's an hour long stand up show then you do you you mold an hour long stand up show um so i suppose it does affect it a little bit but generally the, the the show will kind of i make sure that the marketing is vague enough to just go it's an hour stand up and this is a silly title and it doesn't really affect what's actually in the show i think but it might affect it sort of subconsciously i don't know no, I... I'll find out. I'll find out when I've written the show. Yeah, and it's all about Casey and the Sunshine Band, and I never realised. <laughs> and being blocked by. Fern... And being blocked yeah. by Fern Britton. Yeah, absolutely livid. Well, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure she was a big fan before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, uh, um, so, well, really quickly, going back to TV, you've done some panel shows. Yes. Do you get told ahead of time like what you're going to be talking about, or is it very off the cuff? I Depends mean, I on the panel show. You get a lot of... I've never done Mock the Week, but I gather you get a lot of prep for that. Eight out of ten cats you get a bit of prep for. So, yeah, they do tell you we're going to be talking about this, but it changes on the day. But they give you a bit of heads up so that you can maybe write some jokes about it, but also just get an idea of what that news story is if you don't know it already and that kind of thing. Then there are other shows like Buzzcocks, which has got very little prep. And Would I Lie to You, which I just recorded, had a kind of... um, like a an interview meeting where I sat chatting to a producer for an hour or so where they kind of learnt about me but then there was no prep because they couldn't tell me it's genuinely when you turn up the card and you have a a truth or a lie you don't know what's going to be on that card until you read it so um so yeah so um uh, it depends on the show but yeah lots of them do have bits of prep and you do roughly know which which direction you're going to go in but it it, it fluctuates depending on um, what happens in the room as well what what other comics do lots of people will arrive at the same comedic idea about the same news story so you have to uh, think around that um, and try and think what other people won't say yeah it's kind of strategical writing as well yeah strategical what's the most obvious thing here and work away from that kind of thing wouldn't it make more sense to go for the most obvious thing if everyone else is moving away from that? Yeah, it might do. Sometimes it is, actually. Sometimes I think, that's really obvious, but it's got a laugh and somebody's done it. But it's because... Uh, so who is it I was talking to about this? Alex Edelman, I was having a conversation with, who was saying, you know, when a news story happens in the old days, that we didn't have Twitter or whatever, so a comic would go out and the first joke, the most obvious joke, would be perfectly brilliant to do in a live environment. But now with Twitter, everyone's heard the first most obvious comedic response to any news story. They've heard the second, the third, fourth most obvious response. So you, when you go on stage that night to do a joke, you have to kind of think of the fifth, sixth, seventh most obvious thing and even more kind of off-the-wall ideas because everyone's heard the, the rest of them on Twitter already before you've even stepped on stage. So it forces us, the nature of Twitter forces us to be more creative and more outside the box, which is only a good thing. But it makes life harder, which is not good for me because I like a lie down in a bath. Well, you like writing in the bath. So I do like writing in the bath. So, it's, yeah. but I would much rather just sit in the bath and watch spooks. Oh, nice. 
Love Old School. Yeah. I cannot wait Third for the, the film. Sun? Nah, not, nah, not my uh, I was wondering about which avenues you... Yeah, okay, fair enough. Favourite Spooks. You got a favourite TV show other than Other than Spooks? Ooh, um, Six Feet Under was a real formative show I've for me. Seen it. Really good. Although I watched it when I was kind of emerging in my late teens, so it probably isn't as good as I think it is. I've definitely put it on a pedestal, but it, it is a very um, intelligent insight into human life, I think, if I remember it rightly, but it's been years since I've watched it, but I did love it. I did that. I watched, I watched an episode of Friends recently, mm. and although it was great and it was well written and all that stuff, I remember thinking, I remember this better. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. it's awful, isn't it? Like, there was some shit, Malcolm in the Middle, still is evergreen, I still love that show. Yeah, yeah. But there was some that you watch again and you're like, I was a fucking idiot. <laughs> I, I had no yeah. sense of humour. Yeah. No, there are definitely a few like that, aren't there? Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think now what, what shows. I really love The Sopranos, that's the one everyone loves as well, isn't it? Um, and that, but that that doesn't get you. You rewatch and you go, God, I missed so much in this. That's that's the effect of the Sopranos. But yeah, the Friends came up on Netflix the other week, and I did start watching that again. And I thought, Oh God, it's a bit loud, isn't it? They're all just shouting at each other. But there you go. Prison so. Break is one I'm going to throw out there for stuff that I get new every time. Yeah, I've never watched it. So you know, yeah. it's the first series is one of the best first series of any program. Wow. Okay. Because well, because like normally the first series they're trying to establish stuff and they're trying to work out if people like it or whatever. I felt like when they made this one, they just went, "This is what we've produced. Put it out if you want to." And, yeah. they, and they didn't edit it, and yeah. it was and because it's like the second series was the same concept. They were getting out of prison, kind of lost something, even though it was complex enough as the first series. Mm. And then by series four, I was like, "Just get out of prison." Yeah, like frankly, stay in. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> Just, I've had enough. Just, just do your time, mate. Shoot them. Shoot. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. Yeah, the amount yeah. of times you've had an opportunity to keep them in, it's clear they're going to get back out. Yeah, absolute nightmare. It's like Fast and the Furious Seven. Just run them over. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> God, there's seven of them now. Wow, that is that's like porn and I films, can't get isn't it? Films. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven Fast and Furious. Like, films. I just got you said. It's like porn. Yeah, well, there's always like, you know, blowjob 25 or whatever. Oh, I thought you were saying Fast and Furious was a porno. Like, Fast and Furious 7, like, that's a weird... Oh, yeah, yeah, that is, <laughs> well, that is a weird porno. But no, like, porn films often have, like, ridiculous numbers of them, don't they? Sort of... Yeah. Um, I say this because I've been doing a bit of research into porn films <laughs> recently. Um, research. For, uh, research, very, um, very important research, which I have to do in private. And uh, yeah, it's for a bit of standard that I'm developing about a porn actress. And there's an IMDb for porn, which I've discovered, yeah. where all of the porn films that people have been in are listed. And it's lots of like, jizz on my face, 32, you know, like just, just silly names like that, you know. Yeah, there are some books that like, what was it like, uh, like there's Inside a Number 9 on, on TV at the moment. Yes. Like you think sometimes they might have just started at 28. Yeah, and just gone upwards because no one's gonna go. Oh, well, I've watched twenty. I love that. I better watch the first twenty-seven. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, wonder how much cheers she gets on her face in <laughs> seventeen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Oh no, the later films have got very derivative. <laughs> <laughs> just, I've just fucked up the levels, but that was totally worth it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, it's getting too abstract now, isn't it? Yes, perhaps. Uh, do you have a favourite TV show to appear on? Oh, that's a good question. Well, Live at the Apollo is my favourite 
TV show to appear on, definitely. Oh, Drunk History was really fun as well, because just got to get drunk. People said, did you actually get drunk? Yeah, I was I was hungover when I went to bed, because we filmed in the day, and I was mullered. And I think they gave me a Sambuca, which really pushed me over the edge. But um, that was a tough old show, that one, trying to stay alert and funny whilst mullered. But I was really impressed with that show. And more people have talked to me about that show than anything else I've done. And I thought when I took it, I thought, well, it's Comedy Central, no one will watch it. And so many people have sort of mentioned it to me. I've seen you on Drunk History, really like Drunk History. And it seemed to be really popular, very very on the zeitgeist. Mm. Um, So that was a fun one to record. But yeah, Live at the Apollo, because it just felt so just bonkers that I was doing it that um it, and and I felt very prepared because I'd been working on the set for so long that yeah I loved appearing on that I'd love to do something similar again yeah I uh, I saw you in drug history I was emailing uh, Mark at the British Comedy Guide and, oh, right. and he sent me a link and he was like have you, have you seen this and I was like yeah have you seen that like, yeah it's, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah. funny um yeah so that was uh I I'm glad they actually make you get drunk because otherwise it would have been weirdly Poor acting on your yeah, yeah, events, yeah. Like... No, I well, I'm, I'm not. I don't really get drunk. I, I drink a, I can drink a lot, and I get like a bit slurry, but I don't get aggressive or I just get a bit looser, really, which kind of worked for the show. But um, yeah, they take you to a bar at like midday, and they just buy you whatever you want to drink, and there's like a medic on hand the whole time in case you accidentally die. And I had to do a full medical to check that I could drink, which I could have told them they didn't need to do a medical. Um, but yeah, it was a, an amazing show to do because it's just such a bonkers concept, isn't it? Just, just get drunk. It's great. Pretty cheap TV. Yeah, cheap. Cheap to do, although I had I demanded to have Fizz, so it's probably more expensive to have me on than anyone else. I think like Ramesh just had beers, didn't he? Ramesh Ranganathan and lots of people just did beer. Or and I was like, no, no, Fizz. If, if I'm going to get drunk. If, if, if you're paying for it, I will have the finest champagne, please. I had that when I I went for a I went for a meal with an agent. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. Might edit it out. Uh, I went for a meal with an agent, and um, they they told me very early on that they weren't interested in representing me. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And then I felt like, oh, I'm just going to order the most expensive thing on the menu. Then, yeah, like, like, they've taken me out for dinner, but they've told me they're not going to represent That's me. That's nice. Yeah, so I just ordered a fucking mass. I just basically went, where is the? Mm. I'll have lobster and steak. Yeah, <laughs> I don't even like steak. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. But let's have it. Yeah, whenever I donate, I'll take out and give it to a homeless person. It'd be lovely. Yeah, yeah, yeah oh, it was good fun. for you. It was a lot of fun. I love it. Are there any TV shows that you've not been on that you would like to appear on, and why? Yes, uh, I would like to do QI because I'd like to meet Stephen Fry. And I'd also like to try some of the American shows. I'd love to sort of try stand up over there. I did one gig in San Francisco there last year, just on, I was on holiday, but out of interest. And that was really fun. And I feel like I could, it would take a bit of molding and learning American references, but I reckon I could be okay in front of American audiences. Um, but yeah, I'm not, I'd like to perhaps maybe do Mock the Week, but, um, not until I'm ready. I don't know necessarily what I'm ready for, for what that entails. Um, oh, and the Alan Davies show was quite interesting. I thought the As Yet Untitled is quite a nice idea where it's just chatting. Um, so, yeah. Um, I'm trying to think if there are any others that I'd like to do. Are there any you've wanted to do and been turned down for? 
well, we have, I, I presume anything that I've not done, like QI, they've probably approached QI a few times about me and they've said no. I just don't know about it because the agent does it and then just doesn't tell me if they say no. You know, they'll probably approach them quite a lot. Um, oh, no, I meant like if you'd like gone for like, maybe you'd done like the preview set for the Apollo and they'd gone, oh, I don't think this is right. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything like that that I've done. Again, it's the sort of stuff where those sorts of shows, you don't really audition for them. They just book you or they don't, you know. Um, so n- the answer is yes, but I don't know, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so you're, you're 100% sure you've been turned down, but you just don't know who. Yeah. Fair enough. great. Lovely. Okay. And while we're sticking to favourites, favourite comedians that you enjoy? Um... Okay, I'm just going to, this is in no particular order. I'm just reeling off people that I can think of that I really like and missing out hundreds of people. Lou Sanders, Julian Dean, Sarah Pascoe, Sarah Kendall, um, Joe Wilkinson, uh, Russell Brand, Alan Carr, Fiona O'Loughlin from Australia. Uh, is it Fiona O'Loughlin? It's Fiona something. She's brilliant. Um, Louis C.K. Lo- yeah, loads of all sorts of different things. I love, I love so many different stand-ups for all sorts of different reasons really the minute the one that's really making me laugh is Julian Dean and it's just I don't know what it is about him I just find him absolutely hysterical I just think he's so um, so naturally funny and he doesn't really know why he's funny but he's a brilliant gag writer as well so it's like kind of two pronged attack of brilliant uh, brilliant jokes and then this sort of slightly un- unknown quantity of natural humour natural talent for making people laugh I think he's really really exciting and he's doing his first year in Edinburgh I watched a preview of his show and in March and it was really good then so I imagine it'll be amazing now but yeah um, lots of lots of people and last question mm-hmm. if you had one bit of advice for a comedian starting out other than do the competitions because they help and get you a credit and stuff. Yeah. Who may, who want to make like a full-time career. They want to be basically what you're doing. What would you say? Um, I mean, my advice to people is always just do it. Like all of the best stuff is, that's happened to me in my life has just come out of just going, oh, I'll just give that a go, see what happens. And you'll inevitably F it up in some ways. But um, the only way you can learn and get better at stand-up is just doing it. So just find places to do it. Obviously, the competitions is a great place to start. But just doing any gigs in uh, any pub you can find at the early stages is really valuable. So don't overthink it and just have a go and write as much as you can and jot stuff down. Um, try and enjoy it be yourself man but yeah I, I mean it's all the usual cliched advice and it's cliched because it's uh, correct really which is you know uh, yeah, have a go I think it's a, a wonderful wonderful thing and I'm very very glad that I get to do it as 
I think I'd be pretty hopeless at most things. So I'm quite glad I get to piss about for a living. Nice. Cool. Well, thanks for coming on. Thank you for having me. That was Joe. I had so much fun geeking out with him about just business stuff. It was so good to talk to a, a professional comedian who's sort of not done the DIY path, but also has. He's sort of cushioned himself a bit with uh, management and, and helped himself out. And, and But he sort of, as he admitted, needed that because they're kind of helping him make decisions that he maybe wouldn't have done, like going on a tour on his own back and getting him as a support act on other tours. It was so much fun to talk to him. I really appreciated his time. Thank you very much if you're listening, Joe. Um, why are you listening to your own podcast? That's a bit odd. And um, if you if you do like this podcast, you might like also like the one by Louisa Omalan, who uh, I think it was episode 11 or 10. If you just look back in the archives, um, it's there. Uh, also, if you subscribe, you can get them all immediately. So do that. Um, Louisa Omalan was, uh, did a debut show in 2012, I think it was. And uh, we talk about the detailings of how she made that show the success it is and the success it continues to be three years on. It's amazing. Um, I've also got Beck Hill coming on soon. Uh, hopefully that'll be out in July, maybe the end of June. And uh, Aidan Goatley, who was heavily plugged in the previous episode with Jill Edwards about his, quite frankly, amazing show, uh, 10 Films with My Dad. So if you're interested in those, please do subscribe. They're going to be out uh, hopefully before Edinburgh. That's my aim. Next week, we've got Alfie Nooks on, who runs the We Are Funny Project in London. It, he has a really, really interesting and community-led model for his club. And it's something that really resonates with me. As you can probably tell, I'm very community-orientated and I'm very supportive of people who are supportive of other people. So um, we get into that and we also get into his future plans for the project and why he calls it a project. It's really interesting. Um, and I really like talking to him. So if you want to hear more about that and you want to learn more about um, one of the best open mic comedy clubs in London and learn how to maybe run one yourself and, and make it the success that he has, please do subscribe and you'll get that content straight into the podcast player of your choice. Uh, if you have enjoyed this content, please do consider giving me a donation. There are PayPal links on every page almost of my website. And uh, if you can join the patrons, please do. The patron uh, website link is patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash ask the industry podcast. Um, if you could even give $2 a podcast, there's three that come out every month. It means it costs you $6, which I think is about £4, maybe £3.80. And that helps me reach my first target, which is $50 a pod. If I think it's like 10 of you did that, we would reach that first target. And it would only cost you four quid. That's like a cup of coffee or a pint or something. So if you could do that, that would be amazing. And it would really bring us closer to the next target, which is $50 a pod. Um, thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much for sharing. The The links are all on the website, as always. Um, and thank you very much for your support. It, it, I cannot thank you enough. Honestly, I'm so feeling so blessed and lucky. And so, just oh, it's so good. I know this is now getting a bit self-indulgent, but I just want to say, if you have shared any of the links, if you have shared any of the podcasts, if you've come up to me at a gig and you've said thank you for making the podcast, or you've sent me a Facebook message because we've not bumped into each other yet on any walk of life, just thank you. I, I honestly love this community we're building because it feels so much like we're, I, I don't feel as alone in this DIY 
narrative of a career that I'm building for myself because I feel like I'm not the only one doing it. It's still my career and it's still your career and whatever, but it feels like we're all kind of working together individually. It, I don't know if that makes sense to anyone who is not a performer who listens to this, but it's a beautiful thing and it just feels great. So thank you so much for your support. Thank you so much for listening and for all the shares. Do keep it going. It, it, it can't survive without you guys. So thank you so much. I'm going to shut up now. Have a great bank holiday weekend. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.